0: This program was produced at and first aired on MPR, Manawatū People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai irerangi Tamotu MPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatū, you could make your very own just like this one. MPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out mpr.nz for more information.
1: Hi I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property and quite a lot happening around the region at the moment so we'll talk a little bit about that as well as the house prices, what's been happening, how the sales are faring and a little bit about how the market's going around the country. We'll move on there to give some tips from financiers For those people whose mortgage interest rates have doubled where their income has not and there's advice from the experts there on how to make life a little easier. We have an update on how landlords are doing with healthy homes and finally uh, some tips from the former Block NZ winners revealing how to sell your property in a buyer's market. So I'll rip into that and see how we go. First off the uh, press here, so to speak, an article in the Manor Two Standard from Janine Rankin says rezoning approved for new suburb on Palmerston North's north edge. A 13 hectare wedge of rural land on Palmerston North's northern urban fringe has been approved for rezoning allowing residential development. Locals call it Whiskey Creek, but Resource Management Commissioners deciding in favour of the rezoning said that it would change to Mátangi, a name given by Rangatane or Manawatū during a protracted hearing process. Alongside the area approved for residential zoning, there was a 10 hectare block next to Flygest Line that would be rezoned for conservation and amenity use. The people most affected by the change would be Cloverley residents, particularly those on Meadowbrook Drive, whose properties currently have a north-facing view across rural land as far as Mount Ruapehu on a clear day. So there were 26 submissions on the application and most were in opposition. The commissioners were generally convinced the proposal could provide a mixed density neighbourhood, not too far from the city centre and services that would help meet the city's housing demand. One of the key concerns, for those of you who have been around for a while may recall this, that one of the key concerns was the potential for the low-lying area to flood. Commissioners found that risk could be managed through detailed designs at the subdivision stage. While residents wanted a strip of reserve as a buffer between them and the new buildings, the the decision ruled against that. The written decision of the panel of Independent Chairman David McMahon with Commissioners Alicia Rutherford and Brent Barrett said there was a level of sympathy for the residents... Uh, However, the expert advice that the rural outlook was borrowed, not owned, was persuasive. I guess what they mean by that is that they've enjoyed the view, but it's never been theirs to own. The concerns about shading and generally being built out would mostly be managed through rules about fencing and alignment, building setbacks and height restrictions. Another concern was the construction of a new intersection on Benmore Avenue that would be the main access to the subdivision. Another intersection at State Highway 3 would allow left turn in and out access. So the commissioners were satisfied that the residents most affected would be consulted about the intersection design before it was built. So that's going ahead. Good stuff for getting new housing uh, as it's much needed in this region. This next article from the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, their monthly stats came out uh, just recently. This headline from the Manawatu Standard, Connor Nell, Says prices low, but home buyers still apprehensive in Palmerston North. It says that after prices dropped in Palmerston North during the latter half of 2021, a correction is slowly underway, according to the latest Real Estate Institute of New Zealand data. The September 2022 market report showed 93 house sales recorded for the month in Palmerston North. On a year on year comparison, this figure was significantly fewer than the 126 sales recorded in September 2021. Makes you wonder how all these salespeople make a living. There's only 93 houses selling a month, and salespeople don't get paid unless they sell. So that's, uh, yeah, wow, that's, that's uh, tough. Anyway, the median sales price also increased from 6.37 to, uh, from the 6.15 recorded um, in August So while the report noted prices were still comparatively low, it also stated buy appetite remained apprehensive due to a fear of overpaying amid concerns that these small increases could develop a greater trajectory. And while there were more first home buyers entering the market, the majority remained owner occupiers. and We've really noticed that in the market with the government changes that they've made that Largely first-time buyers have been removed from the market and largely investors as well. So most of the people that are out there at the moment looking at buying or selling are those who are upsizing or downsizing. Real Estate Institute of New Zealand ambassador for Palmer's North, Andy Stewart, said, while there were signs of a change, there's still a lot of uncertainty in the market. He says it's getting better, but there's still hard yards out there. Sales volumes are still down and that's still, there's still concern from first-time buyers about interest rate, rate hikes. He says it's a good time to buy because prices are creeping up again, however we're also seeing a lot more properties selling under half a million dollars, which was non-existent a few years ago. How long that'll stay, I don't know. Stewart said that while the correction was ongoing, it also threw into question whether the annual spring and summer sales jump would be as pronounced as years gone by. To compound the issue, while supply chains were slowly coming back to normal, labour shortages were still impacting on the construction of new builds and he says that builders who are willing to negotiate a fixed-term contract are hard to come by. Availability of materials is still an issue for new builds as well, and while it seems to be getting better, it looks like we're going to see the impact of this for a while. The Budget 2022 tried to gin up some interest among first home buyers with a new home grant scheme for houses in Palms North priced between $400,000 and $875,000 offering couples a $20,000 grant if on a combined income of $150,000 or lower. A first home loan scheme underwritten by Kainga Ora was also introduced aiding buyers to get onto the market for just a 5% deposit and stewart however believed that while there was enthusiasm for this assistance there was not enough clarity around how to access and use it he says i don't think the government or the reserve bank have helped in the space by hiking the cash rate people are still under intense financial scrutiny when applying for loans so meanwhile fieldings experienced a decrease in both sales and prices with a medium drop from to 24 sales from 31 in august and a median price drop to 576 from 630. So obviously bigger fluctuation due to lower numbers. And how's the rest of the country going? The Real Estate Institute, uh, beg your pardon, not the Real Estate Institute, realestate.co.nz, which is a different organisation, uh, spokeswoman Vanessa Williams said it could signal the market's return to pre-pandemic state, that is the calling of the market. This article by Miriam Bell and Stuff Homed section says house prices bucked recent trends and rose nationwide last month, but the the market's traditional spring uplift was not as strong as expected, the Real Estate Institute says. The country's median price increased by 2% annually to 811 in September, up from 795 at the same last year. There was even a slight 1.4% increase from $800,000 in August. But 10 out of the 16 regions had... Annual price decreases, and now had medians that were lower than they were last September. So you may recall the regions really shot up, including Else, and of those regions, Nelson and Manawatu-Wanganui had the biggest price falls, down twelve point four percent and ten point two percent, respectively. Uh, which makes the median house price here, Manawatu-Wanganui, now five hundred and seventy thousand. Uh, but that's not—we're not alone. In Wellington, the median price fell annually and also in Waikato Bay of Plenty, Gisborne, Hawke's Bay and Marlborough, while in Tasman the median remained unchanged. Real Estate Institute Chief Executive Jen Beard said, median price movement was gradually slowing regionally, um, and while the seasonally adjusted figures showed some regions performed better than expected, others underperformed. So that's... Uh, in terms of the volume of sales, I was mentioning earlier about those, the number of sales, the, the biggest annual sales decrease was in Marlborough, down 37%, and to Wanganui's down almost 29%. Uh, also, it's now taking uh, a median number of days to sell of 47 So it's just taking a bit longer to sell, and I guess vendors are needing to be a bit more careful on their pricing. It was a different market to last year's market which was fuelled by a sense of urgency as demand outweighed supply Beard said and the market has moved the other way and the scales have tipped so that supply outweighs demand In this market while we are seeing a good rate of sales they tend to be slower. But agents had reported the majority of vendors understood the need to adjust their price expectations although some were slow to meet buyer expectations. Jen Beard says that standout properties matter in this market and those that are marketed well are selling faster. She says that while spring has got off to slower than expected start agents, a confident activity will pick up over the warmer months as people move to complete their plans to buy or sell ahead of the summer holidays. So that's just a bit of a, uh, I guess, a bit of an update on the market there. Now, if you are looking for something a little bit unusual, I like to bring the odd unusual property here to you on Property Matters. And this one in the lifestyle section of Home Property on Stuff by Janina Schwaneke says Karori home built with a hand dug well from the late 1800s, now for sale. So this Karori home with the original hand-dug brick-lined well used for water supply is on the market for the first time in 50 years. You'd likely never know it, but this Karori home um, has a secret. Beneath a latched trapdoor in the centre of its hallway corridor sits an original hand-dug brick-lined well going down 9 metres. It's something current owner Mark Sinclair, who grew up in the 1890s home, often forgot about as a child but now views as a key selling feature. It kind of makes the house, he said. Mark's mother brought the Cory Road home in 1974 and he and sister Susanna Sinclair took over their mother's restoration efforts when she died in 2020. Having spent the last two years restoring the home, making it fit for modern living, he hopes the new owners will keep this quirky bit of history, adding that the heritage feature was close to his heart. The well, which meet, measures about 0.9 of a metre wide, was very typical of homes built in the late 1800s and was used for families to source water for drinking, washing and other household needs. The top layer of the unlined well was made up of bricks before transitioning to bare clay. And its source is groundwater, allowing for a recharge of about 100 litres a day, Mark estimated. So rather than a well, it's more like a big cistern that fills very slowly. It was okay for running a household in 1890, but not for running a household today. Mark said the well was very common in those days, and he knew of others in the area, though most of these had been filled in. So they've cleared that out. It's now working. And um, there was something here I just wanted to mention that a pump connected to the outdoor hose meant the well was still usable. And what's the water taste like? Well, they drank from the well and thought the water was fine, but it would require regular testing for it to be considered drinkable under current standards. Certainly it would be enough to keep your garden alive, he says, when water restrictions are imposed. Could also be a good house for for a prepper, Uh, you know, the old... um, end of the world doomsday preppers to have a water supply or an off-grid person wanting a water supply in case of emergency. And uh, and that's really interesting uh, to see uh, pictures of and that's why you could look at that on Stuff and the home at 198 Karori Road uh, would could also be searched in terms of the listing online. So if you want a house with a well, if that's something that uh, might interest you, well then <laughs> why not? We talk about all sorts of things here on Property Matters. This article I thought was quite good from stuff in the lifestyle section. It's about renting. It's a renter's rights advice. How quickly does my landlord have to fix a leak? It's a question and answer. So the question is by uh, somebody called Ryan, says the house that I'm renting floods and leaks through the roof into a rumpus room and garage where, when there is a medium to heavy downpour, leaving the carpet soaked as well as some flooding in the garage, then makes the place mouldy. I've told the property agents back in March about this and have emailed again. One person came to look at it in May, but nothing has happened since. How long do they have to fix this issue? Would this be considered an uninhabitable home? And Could you end a fixed term lease because of this issue? So David Faulkner, who's one of the industry expert's comments, he says it's all too familiar a story, which is disappointing, and it uh, certainly is in my view as well. However, tenants have plenty of rights you do not have to tolerate waiting for repairs to be carried out. It is important that both tenants and landlords understand their responsibilities under the Residential Tenancies Act. He says if... I have one large criticism of our property management industry. It's that we often fail to educate our landlords on their responsibilities. And that's partly through a lack of knowledge, which comes with an unregulated industry. But I also believe that property managers are too scared to push landlords to get work done through fear of upsetting them and losing the business. That's uh, his words, not mine. So no tenant needs to tolerate such conditions and the Residential Tenancies Act now has enough teeth in it to protect you and there is no need to fear retribution. Section 40 of the RTA states that the tenant's responsibility is to report maintenance issues as soon as possible. You've done that. So now the emphasis is on the landlord to act within a reasonable amount of time to undertake the necessary repairs. If a landlord fails to do this, the next step is to issue a 14-day notice to the landlord. They must then take significant steps to get the word Completed within this time frame. So let's assume you've done that and the landlord fails to act. What do you do now? Many tenants take the step of withholding rent, but you cannot and should not do this. Instead, make an application to the Tenancy Tribunal. The landlord has breached Section 45, which is generally referred to as landlord's responsibilities and the tribunal can order the landlord to undertake the work and issue exemplary damages which is a payment to the tenants as well as a potential rebate of rent and this will be calculated based on the size and usage of the area for example if there was 10% of the home affected uh, for a proportion of the time they can calculate a dollar value for that. So David says to, to Ryan who's asked the question if you take these steps This should provide the necessary solution. Let's look at the worst case scenario. The landlord fails to undertake repairs and gives notice to end the tenancy. But if they give notice, this is likely a breach of section 54, which looks at retaliatory notices. This will be deemed to be be ineffectual, and the landlord exposes themselves to further exemplary damages of up to $6,500. And that's payable to the tenant. You can also seek exemplary damages for breaching a work order. So if you feel that a landlord has given you notice in the tenancy uh, because of something you've done, that is something that you can get awarded a monetary payment and that notice can be uh, made void um, by the court. If the landlord continues to neglect their duties, you're now free to get the work done yourself and withhold rent to cover the costs of the repair. And again, that's covered in law. That's a little way down the track, though, so just be careful with that one. Just to repeat, uh, if the landlord continues to neglect the duties, you're free to get the work done yourself and withhold rent to cover the costs of repair. So he says, in short, tenants have plenty of rights now to protect them. The challenge we have is to provide enough education so everybody understands their legal responsibilities. So that's quite interesting there. And that goes for any repair, uh, that process. So uh, ask for it to be done give them a little bit of a chance, otherwise 14-day notice, in which case they must get things at least underway um, and um, on the way to being resolved for you. So this article here, um, I'm going to shuffle my papers around a bit because I did want to move on to an article about how landlords are doing with healthy homes compliance. I've got all my papers out of order here, but... um, There was an article by Miriam Bell on stuff.co.nz about how uh, landlords are going, and Property Scouts Director Ryan Weir spoke to stuff about the rental market. Over 60% of rental properties assessed by one inspection company are fully compliant with the healthy home standards, but experts say widespread compliance is not happening quick enough. All Clear Group NZ analysed data collected from 15,000 or over 15,000 assessments in Auckland, Northland, Waikato and Canterbury and found that the number of fully compliant properties had increased significantly and this suggests the quality of rental housing is improving although tales of substandard rentals remain rife and there is no central record of how many rentals nationwide are now compliant with the standards that probably would have been a good idea the rental home standards which became law in 2019 set minimum requirements for heating insulation ventilation moisture drainage and draft stopping in rental properties Compliance with them is being phased in over a number of years but since July of last year all private rental properties have to comply with the standards within 90 days of any new or renewed tenancy. So prior to last July industry estimates indicated under a quarter of rental properties nationwide were passing the healthy home standards compliance inspections on first try. And in a Government Commission survey conducted at the end of last year, 57% of 1,600 tenants said there was a problem with dampness of mould, while 55% said they had a problem heating their rental or keeping warm in the winter. But All Clear Group NZ's new figures show that while the first inspection pass rates remained low at just 19%, The number of fully compliant properties has jumped to 61% from 27% last year. So the company's co-founder Adam Gordon says this year there's been a big increase in the amount of improvement work done, particularly after government changes to the standards came in force in May. Quite a few landlords had deferred compliance work until the changes came into play, but once they did, many had moved to get the work underway, he said but our figures show that there is high compliance with some standards rather than others. There was a 95% rate of compliance on underfloor insulation, but a 61% rate on heating, for example. The heating standard had the lowest compliance rate, but compliance around fireplace draft stopping was just 64%. Compliance with draft stopping around gaps and holes was better at 80%. Ventilation's a mixed bag with 94% compliance rate around the habitable spaces – but 75% rate for bathroom and kitchen extraction. Gordon says he expects compliance to continue to improve and he cannot see any future government getting rid of the standards. That is because whatever your political leaning, the science behind the standards are solid and there is value in doing this work. Having a compliant property will also make for a better price on resale because a warm, dry home appeals to landlords and owner-occupiers, Gordon says. Maintaining compliant rental is an ongoing process, and while there are costs attached to that, landlords who ensure their property is up to standard will find it easier to get good tenants and better rents. That's the, the general gist of it as well. So, Tenancy Service does not have a register, as I mentioned, about which homes are compliant and which not, but between July 1st last year and September 23 this year, the Tenancy Compliance and Investigation Team received 223 complaints about healthy home compliance, issued 87 landlords with 99 enforcement measures. But trying to make this sure the standards are enforced is a problem for tenants, Renters United President Geordie Rogers says. Information and skills are needed to access the enforcement. He says if the dispute goes to Tenancy Tribunal, you have to advocate for yourself, which is really hard, especially against a landlord who has been through the process before. Only about 18% of tenants who go to the Tribunal with complaints around the standards are successful in getting some form of compensation or remedies for a breach. He believes compliance with the standards involving visible things such as heat pumps and extractor fans has improved, but there has been little progress with less obvious areas such as drafts. Now that's his opinion, it's not really backed by the stats, but, uh, but still. For many tenants... The barrier to a compliant home is whether a property is exempt, and this often comes down to the length of a tenancy agreement, he says. There is greater security of tenure now, which is great, but until the tenancy is new or renewed, a property does not legally have to be made compliant. But That changes in 2024, at which point all private rentals have to comply, but there are many tenants living in properties where landlords are waiting until that final deadline to do the necessary work. There we go, that's a bit of an update there on, on where things are at. Uh, With regards to, I guess, the other thing that's topic that's at front of mind quite often is is the mortgage interest rates, um, the official cash rate, the flow and effect to the mortgage interest rates. So this article from Joetta Davis of the stuff.co.nz, money section says mortgage interest rate doubled but your income hasn't. Here's what experts advise. So banks, like any business, want to charge as much as they can and this is what that means for your interest rates. Many homeowners needing to refix home loans are facing interest rates double what they used to and the increased regular payments that go with it. As an example, if someone had borrowed $400,000 fixed at 2.5% for a year in mid-2021, the fortnightly payments would be about eight hundred and twenty-eight dollars If they refixed at a representative current rate of 5.5% without changing the term, fortnightly payments would be $1,133, meaning they need to find an extra $305 a fortnight. So whatever your level of borrowing, we've asked some experts for their advice on juggling the household budget amid what is for many a cost of living crisis. So revisit the basics. Tim Morris, manager of Auckland Central Budgeting, says the first step is to revisit the basics. Set a financial goal, set a budget to match the goal, then measure your money against the budget and adjust accordingly. He recommends that when money is tight, people should still maintain some kind of emergency fund. Make savings of some type a priority as there are going to be bumps in the road. If you're having issues, maybe even a savings account with a different bank so it's hard to access. He recommends having... At least having separate accounts—one for regular fixed costs with automatic payment set up—and another for spending with FPOS access. And if a homeowner's lower fixed term is not not yet up, he recommends looking ahead to when it does need to be fixed, refixed. Consider what life will look like at different interest rates. Do a budget of what the decisions you would have to make then, and some of the decisions, and maybe some of those decisions now. And the technical term is scenario planning. A financial advisor, chartered accountant and founder of Enable Me, Hannah McQueen, says the actions of homeowners need to take depend on how desperate the situation is. If your situation is sinking, then your response needs to be more acute. Some of the more extreme measures she recommends are putting KiwiSaver on hold, rent out a room or even consider renting out your whole house, check you're getting the best deals on utilities and cut spending there, cut what you spend on children and limit their activities, Defer bigger costs such as car replacements or improvements to the home. We then go to Katrina Shanks, the Chief Executive of Financial Advice NZ. She says people who are struggling can talk to a mortgage advisor who arranged their loan. The mortgage advisor can get the structure working better for them. Maybe they can pay reduced payments if they need to while inflation's high and change the term for the next couple of years and then change it back again when they have more disposable income. They might be able to structure some floating, some fixed and reduce their payments on the fixed and when inflation changes put a bit more into the floating portion. So it's good to have good advice along the way. Finally Craig Johnson, Mortgage Advisor with New Zealand Home Loans in Waitakere says rate rises such as what we're seeing provide the perfect opportunity for people to take stock. The big thing for me, he says, is digging into the three biggest variables, fuel, food and fun. This is where we all tend to overspend. In the good times we spend and carry on, now is a good time to set a structure around that. Allocate an amount for those things once a month and that's all you get for that month. Johnson, who has been a mortgage advisor for 15 years, says he goes through an analysis of his spend, of spending with all his clients who first complete a detailed worksheet. It's not for me to tell people how to spend their money, it's what you can do yourself. He says, when people have a plan, they find the motivation to stick to it. If they're getting towards the end of three weeks and they've got $200 left in their discretionary spend amount, it keeps them on track. So that's a uh, little bit there about helping with regards uh payments and so forth or helping with um, being able to meet those mortgage repayments too. So... I hope that's been of some help to you. You've been listening to Property Matters here on MPR Manawatu Peoples Radio Te Reo I re Rangi or Nga Tangata or Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. You can find the show on Manawatu Peoples Radio mpr.nz, or where all good podcasts are found. I look forward to catching up with you in a week's time. Thanks for listening.
0: If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.